Hello, and welcome to PW Kids Cast, the children's book podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors and illustrators creating books for children and teens. I'm Emma Cantor, Associate Children's Book Editor at Publishers Weekly. Today, I'm speaking with author Tracy Dion about her debut YA novel, Legendborn. The book is due out September 15th from Simon Pulse, which is sponsoring this podcast. Tracy Dion is a writer and self-described fangirl. After earning her bachelor's and master's degrees in communication and performance studies from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, she worked in live theater, video game production, and K-12 education. Tian's YA debut, Legendborn, follows whip-smart 16-year-old Bree Matthews, who has just arrived at UNC Chapel Hill for a pre-college program. Bree is grieving the death of her mother and struggles to adjust to her new surroundings. When she witnesses a magical attack on campus, she soon finds herself caught up in a secret society of so-called legendborns. Thank you for joining me, Tracy. Thank you for having me. When did the inspiration strike to create a fantasy set at your alma mater? It is a fantasy, right? Uh, Yes. I mean, in that, uh, you know, as far as I know, there are no descendants of the Knights of King Arthur at UNC Chapel Hill. But, you know, I went to UNC for two degrees. And during my time there, I was sort of continually struck by how old the campus is. It's the oldest public university um, in the country that graduated students. So we're talking, gosh, like um, less than 30 years after, you know, the Revolutionary War, so 1790s. And there's something really um, uh, sort of mystical about the school. And there are a, a lot of secret societies already in place there, some of which are very old, some of which students and faculty sort of know about as common knowledge. You just don't know who's a member. And then there are others that you are, you're told exist, but no one has ever seen evidence. And so there's just a lot of legend and lore on that campus. It's sort of baked in. It was, it was, it was easy to use that as my setting. And what drew you specifically to the King Arthur legend, bringing it into a contemporary setting with a young woman of color as your heroine? So I've always been um, very much sort of um, uh, fascinated with King Arthur. There's something about that story that I find really compelling. I think it's the idea that power comes to the right person in the right moment. Um, This idea that that even though there's sort of a sense of lineage and responsibility in the in the setup of so the a monarchy, you've got this also this thread running through that power uh, should be wielded carefully. And I sort of gravitated toward that idea because I don't know that we always have that. Even now today, I don't know that we have an overwhelming sense always that power can flow in that direction without a lot of strife. And so that's one thing that I knew I wanted to take hold of. I've also always been obsessed with Susan Cooper's The Dark is Rising series. This is an older young adult contemporary fantasy series. And what I love about how Susan Cooper handled the King Arthur mythology, and she said a lot of that in the UK and Wales in particular, is that she allowed that that story to remain a legend, but brought it forward into the present day to show 
how this persistent legend, which is, of course, how it's persisted in our real world, it's been 1,500 years of people retelling that the King Arthur stories and adding to it and creating sort of a collection of tales around this figure. Um, and Susan Cooper just said, yes, let's let's keep that that contemporaneous idea of, of Arthur, but bring it forward and talk about how that magic might affect the world today. So that's something I always knew that I wanted to play with. And in terms of bringing in a, a character of color, I think I've always wanted to see um, a 16-year-old Black girl, as I was a 16-year-old Black girl, take the lead and be able to have the full range of adventures that are offered to a lot of young adult main characters. And I had yet to see it done in a way that made me feel fulfilled, that made me feel like the 16-year-old me was finally getting what she wanted. So I decided to write it myself. Legendborn was named a YA debut title on the summer slash fall 2020 Indies Introduce list. How does it feel to you to have this kind of buzz surrounding your first book? Oh, it's it's very surreal. Um, I, I feel uh, at, at honored that particularly indie booksellers who see a lot of stories come uh, across, you know, their their reading desks, their laps. You know, indie booksellers are really tastemakers in a lot of ways. So it was it was thrilling to see that there was a response, particularly in the blurbs that I saw a few of the indie booksellers mentioning. The components of the story that I most love as well, Bree and and her journey, the way that grief works in the book, um, the way that race works in the book and how I navigate contemporary issues of race in, a, in, in, in conversation and hand in hand with fantasy. So seeing the buzz was one amazing thing, but the, the, the fact that the buzz includes all of the things that I most love about my own book, that's where it sort of put me on cloud nine. Looking back a bit, your essay, Black Girl Becoming, is featured in the 2018 anthology, Our Stories, Our Voices, also from Simon Pulse. How did you come to be a part of that collection, and and was it your first experience with a traditional publishing house? Yes, it, it was my first experience, and it's such a great story. I'm so glad you asked. So this is one of those you know, everyone says that debut authors and that authors in general have their own path. And as much as publishing as a an online community, as an industry, um, talks about the ways in which one can be published, and there is sort of like traditional steps, there's also a lot of untraditional stories out there. And I feel like mine is one of them. Um, I was fortunate enough to be uh, friends with someone who was also a writer, also an author, and she pointed me to a call for submissions that Amy Reed had put out on social media. I would have never found it if this person hadn't seen the call and asked me and uh, said, you know, is this something you might want to do? So I submitted thinking, well, this is a long shot. I've never, I've been a writer my entire life since I've you know, I've been a storyteller even longer since I could really speak. I've always been sort of the person to recount a tale, um, to try and get emotional responses out of my audience. So this idea that I could write and pursue publication formally is always hovering in the back of my mind, but not something that I felt at the time was that I was ready to pursue. But sometimes you just need a little vote of confidence from up here. And so I submitted the story and probably forgot about it. I have this this sort of code of submit it and forget it, which I encourage many people to employ. <laughs> it means that you can work um, on something, submit it, put your heart into it, but also recognize that on 
you know, you might have to let it go. And at some point it's on the person on the other side to say whether or not they um, want to take it in and, and put their heart behind it. But that doesn't mean that your work is um, not valid, right? Like you, you've already done the work and then you can forget it and let, let the other, the other parties decide. So I did that. And then Amy emailed me and I was completely shocked because I had forgotten it. <laughs> and she said that she had already selected a story for the anthology. This call only allowed for one debut unknown author to be published. And so she said, you may have seen we've already selected one, but your story has really stuck with me. So even though we're far past the deadline, I wanted to wanted to invite you to join. And so that's how it happened. It was a series of chances. Um, and Amy gave me a chance to work on um, revising Black Girl Becoming and put it in the anthology. And I was able to be a part of a community of established authors um, and be published alongside really big names. I mean, Julie Murphy's there. I mean, I, you know, at the time, I remember being starstruck that my name was appearing on the same page as, as so many of these folks. So that's that was the beginning. And that's actually how I um, got in touch with my current editor for Legendborn, Lisa Abrams. And what has it been like working with your current editor, Lisa? Oh, it's been remarkable. You know, Lisa really has always believed in my voice. Um, I feel very fortunate that she recognized um, something in me. She recognized, I think, my, if I were to try and guess, of course, she would say better than me. I think she recognized a, a certain um, passion I have for talking about the fictional and fantasy and putting it in deep conversation with our current everyday lives. And that's something I've always, always done, even as, an, even as a graduate student. And so Lisa, I think, really really resonated with that. She found something there. And so working with her in a longer term project, like a novel, um, has been a dream because I know that she, I already knew that she supported um, sort of where my brain went, you know, all the, the directions and some of the unexpected things I wanted to try. She already believed in me. So that was really empowering. And then Lisa um, brought on another editor, brought on Sarah McCabe. Um, and Sarah's the three of us, we make a great team because so much of my book is emotional and about interpersonal journeys and, and uh, grief journey and family. And then there's also this component that's action adventure and magic and has lots of complicated magical system rules and mechanics that Brie has to learn. And the three of us together just sort of figured out this ambitious book. I'm really grateful to have both of them on my team. I saw that in 2019, you joined the Sci-Fi Wire docu-series Looking for Leia, yeah. in which diverse female fans discuss what the Star Wars universe means to them. What was your role in the production? So, um, yeah, I joined I joined Looking for Leia. Uh, at the beginning, I, I joined as an on-screen, you know, voice. Um, you know, I, I think I, I had always expected and hoped that I would be able to bump into sort of professional fandom as my career continued, because I had started out a little bit on that path as you read in my bio, but I never thought that I would be able to be on screen in a documentary talking about it. That was completely a surprise. But the director, Annalise Ophelian, met me at San Diego Comic-Con in 2018 and invited me to be a part of it. And she came out, you know, I think for 
less than maybe 48 hours and flew out from the West Coast to the East Coast to film me in my home. And I didn't realize it. And I don't know if she realized it, but we spent six hours in my house talking about Star Wars on video. Wow. Um, and, you know, it was it felt like maybe two, but it did. It felt in some ways like a deep sort of meditative conversation, like getting caught up with a friend at a coffee shop and really just losing time. Um, and so we felt a personal connection. And obviously, six hours of Star Wars talk is no small thing. Um, and she flew back out to California. And pretty soon after that, um, she reached out and said, you know, can we do some more work together? Can we do other things? So in, a, in addition to being in, I believe, four of the episodes, um, consulting producer on um, at least one, and then also a co-writer um, for a part of the opening on the first episode. And so we ended up just finding other ways to continue to do this work where, as Annalise has said, you know, there's something about being able to talk about Star Wars and other fandoms as a fangirl, as someone who grew up in that space, um, someone who was raised by a fangirl. My mother was one too, uh, but also as, a, as an academic um, and as a writer, being able to articulate all those thoughts around it. So we just keep finding ways to continue to work together. <laughs> I have to ask then, what does the Star Wars universe mean to you as a writer and also a fan? Um, as a writer it's it's goals right people talk about career goals or writer girl goals or squad goals and you know the idea that something that you could create i'm speaking of george lucas here obviously that something you could create could um could grow and be expansive enough to continue and to go deeper and wider and affect so many different types of audience members and readers. Um, that's, that's incredible. As a, it's, so it's, a, it's an ambitious goal. I don't know that I'll ever reach that level, but the idea that something could be built to be that expansive is wonderful. And as a, as an academic, I sort of had the same feeling, except when I look back at it now, I realize how much space he built into that world for other writers to be involved. Um, over, if you look at how the first movie uh, is structured, there's so much space, what I call sort of opportunity, narrative opportunity for other writers to jump in and expand. And George Lucas, I believe, just based on what he's done, has um, allowed for that and encouraged it, that there are, you know, maybe he's at the helm or maybe he's leading the charge, but there's so many other uh, creators who have gotten into that space and also done their own thing. So as an academic and as a fan academic, I see it as the, one of the most incredible examples of expansive storytelling that's also remains invitational. Um, so much of what fans do with their costumes and fan fiction and fan art is because the story has space for fans to see themselves and to contribute. And not every story does that. So I really, I really love that the Star Wars universe allows for all of that. Going back to your bio, do you find that your experience in theater, TV, education, and even video games informs your storytelling? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I think that my experience in video games um, means that I really I do have a sense in the back of my head about rules for magic. Uh, video games are a great example of types of interactive storytelling and me mechanisms that 
have to have rules um, or else, you know, you're not really playing a game or building a skill and navigating that story. I think that theater um, made me a very, very visual writer. Um, when you are talking about writing a script or even as a director, so I directed my master's thesis and it was a play that incorporated mythology and believe it or not, Superman. Um, and one of my challenges was how do you do Superman's super speed in a play? How do you show it? What does that look like? How do you, how do you create a set and have actors blocked in such a way that looks like super speed. Um, so those types of challenges um, are things that theater directors really have to think about and, and use visually, uh, use visual communication in order to get that across to audience members. So I, one of the things I've heard a lot of people say is that Legendborn is a very visual book, that they um, find it easy to, to see what it is Bree's seeing its first person point of view. So we only see which, what Bree sees and that visualizing the magic and the fight scenes and the characters is something that they found easy to do. And, you know, I think that that's probably a strength of mine. It may also be a sort of a weakness because I forget about other things. Sometimes I forget about scent and, you know, sound and all of the other things, but I know that I, my instinct is to create a scene that uh, a reader can, can walk in and, and hold clearly in their own minds as they read. What do you hope to get across to young readers with your novel? You know, I think one of the things that I, I always wanted to hear as a young person is that my, my emotions were valid. I think we, while emotions and, and acting on them is a conversation about, you know, that, that conversation you hear and growing up and, and being an adult, I always wanted to feel validated in them. And um, one of the things that I have, I think, woven through Legendborn is that Bree's emotions, which range from anything from deep, deep grief to anger to righteous frustration and also uh, deep feelings of longing and wanting to belong, all of those are very valid for her. Um, based on her experience. So I think I want young people to feel empowered in how they feel and not to feel as though those are things that they have to, that emotions are something that they shouldn't have or that they need to control. And then the other thing too, is this, this idea that, um, you know, I, I say that Brie experiences a lot of suffering in the book and at the beginning, you know, she's, she's lost her mother. Um, but I, I don't want to let go of her passion. I don't want, even though the desire for her is to find closure and and my desire for her as an author is for her to heal. I don't want her to lose the spark that is who she is. And when we experience trauma, I think sometimes there's a sense that if you heal, then the trauma has left you, right? And I don't think that that's the case. I think that trauma is about integration of emotions. And so I I really would like for people who have experienced trauma to walk away um, with a better understanding of of how it's affected them, but also recognizing that they can integrate and that trauma is, is um, not something that should be forgotten and on the way to path to healing. Legendborn is the first in a planned series and the ending definitely leaves room for more action. Can you give us any hints about what's next? Oh man, without spoiling, this is a challenge. Um, you know, I, I, my my hint is that the that I will I, you know I I plan to have the cast of characters and the the group of Legendborn continue to 
grow. So you will meet new people in book two. I think that's not too much of a spoiler. That typically happens, right? But in particular, you'll meet um, additional members of the secret society. And Brie will have to reckon with new faces and voices who are not from the home school or the home chapter that she is in for most of the first book. All right. Well, congratulations on your debut. And thank you for speaking with me. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. These are great questions. I'm so glad I was able to, to share a little bit more about the book. Once again, I've been speaking with author Tracy Dion about her debut YA novel, Legendborn, which is due out on September 15th from Simon Pulse. Thank you for listening to PW Kids Cast. <laughs>